Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. And today, we're having another wonderful, inspirational guest, which is what I do, because we want to bring light and hope into the world. My guest is Dr. Aaron Berkowitz, who's an MD and a PhD. He is the founding director of Global Health at Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine and previously served on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School, where he led the Global Neurology Program at Brigham and Women's Hospital. He's a health and policy advisor to Partners in Health and a senior specialist consultant to Doctors Without Borders. He's worked in Haiti, Mawahi, um, Vietnam, and the Navajo Nation, and he lives in Pasadena, did live on the East Coast, and now is in Pasadena. His brand new book is One by One, Making a Small Difference Amid a Billion Problems. Welcome, Aaron. Welcome, Dr. Brokowitz. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Patricia. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because we were talking before we got on the air about COVID-19. Now, for those of you who are hearing the show two or three years later when it's evergreen, this is um, July, actually August of 2020. We're in the middle of a pandemic, which is COVID-19 and the coronavirus. And we're talking about some of the comparisons of what you have been through when you've worked in third world countries. So let me just give a couple of talking points is that you were in one of the poorest poorest regions of rural Haiti and worked with a man, Janelle, who developed the largest brain tumor that you had ever seen. And this was inspired by the book Mountains Beyond Mountains. And you were a young physician, idealistic, and trying to save Janelle's life by bringing him to Boston. So it's amazing how you went from the dirt floor hut to the high-tech Harvard operating room where he went through a 12-hour brain surgery. So that's what we're going to talk about today is sort of the journey. How did you get to Haiti? How did you end up meeting Janelle? How did all of this happen in terms of your your vision and purpose? Yeah, great question. You know, um, when I started medical school over 20 years ago, um, I was, you know, the usual cliche of a college student who wants to go to medical school to to help people and because I liked science and biology and, you know, over that period, sort of the early 2000s, you know, I think public health and and global health and these ideas that everyone's talking about now related to COVID, as you mentioned, health inequities and health disparities really sort of came into the public consciousness and came into my consciousness. And that was really catalyzed when I read this book you mentioned, Mountains Beyond Mountains, about um, Paul Farmer and the organization Partners in Health. So it sort of planted this seed that someday I would love to do the type of work they did, working in some of the poorest parts of the world where there's really no access to medical care. Um, and so once I had uh, trained in neurology, I had reached out to them asking if they need a neurologist. And how I ended up in Haiti is sort of just, um, you know, life coincidences. When I was growing up in high school, I had the choice to learn Spanish or French, and I heard the Spanish teacher was was mean. So I chose French. Uh, and these tiny life decisions sometimes have big impacts later because um, when yeah. I told my colleagues at Partners in Health that I spoke French, they said, well, we'd love for you to go to Haiti. You're a French-speaking neurologist. And Haiti at that time for about 11 million people had just one neurologist for the whole country. Mm. So if you imagine, wow. yeah, imagine patients going to their general practitioner here saying they have a neurologic problem, they get referred to a neurologist there. Um, that wasn't possible. And then if you go upstream, those general practitioner doctors had gone to medical school in a country with, without a neurologist to teach them about things like stroke and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, let alone very complicated patient like this, this young man, Janelle. So I started working there um, right out of training. And as you said, I was sort of a fresh, you know, bright-eyed doctor wanting to you know, sort of live up to these ideals of, of trying to help some of the poorest people in the world and met Janelle in this space with a very complicated dilemma of how to pay, help a patient with a very complicated and complex medical condition. What happened with yeah. him? Yeah, so um, when we first met Janelle, he was uh, about 23. He was barely able to talk, uh, barely able to walk from a, a huge brain tumor. And I showed it, pictures of it to my colleagues um, in the U.S., and they said, you know, um, 
you can't really help this guy. It's, it wouldn't be cost-effective. For the hundreds of thousands of dollars that would go into this guy's care, you could, you could maybe vaccinate the whole region. You could build a new hospital. Wow. Wow. Some people said, yeah, this isn't going to be sustainable. You know, let's say you find a donor, you get the money, then next year another brain tumor patient will come. You won't be able to do it again. So these ideas, cost-effectiveness, sustainability, you hear about them a lot in terms of policy discussions, but, gee, they really break down when you're just seeing a patient in front of you. So I, I, uh, I didn't want to just throw up my hands and say, well, inequity is a bigger problem than, than me and this patient. I, I just turn a blind eye and it's just bad luck. So working with colleagues at Partners in Health, um, we did everything we could to try to get him to Boston for this surgery. And the book is really about the twists and the turns and the triumphs, the tragedies, and all the confusing Spaces in between when you have a doctor like me from a very rich country trying to help in some way in, a, in, in one of the world's poorest countries. Mm. So what happened? You brought him here. You got the money to bring him to Boston. How did you convince people to bring him when they were all kind of naysayers? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I was, you know, one member of a wonderful team of people, other doctors and people who'd worked for Partners in Health for a long time who were incredible advocates. And one of those things, Patricia, where when you feel like you're doing the right thing, it seems like every time you ask the right question, the right thing starts to yeah. happen. So, yes, you know, I talked to some people in the hospital and they said, this is going to be expensive. You have to find the money. But look at this philanthropic organization. So I looked up the Ray Thai Medical Aid Foundation. And this is a foundation that, believe it or not, pays for surgeries for people who can't afford them. And wow. I sent them an email, and the next day they said, this is exactly what we do. Um, we'll work wow. with Brigham and Women's Hospital in oh. Boston to get the cost covered. Hmm. So the next thing they said, but when this young man comes, where is he going to stay? Where is he going to stay while he recovers? And right. we were sort of you know, trying to figure out. We were a bunch of young doctors in our small apartments in Boston. We weren't going to be able to have him in our home. And someone said, oh, you know, Partners in Health has a retired Haitian-American doctor in Boston who's who's housed hundreds of patients over the years who are in this situation. We called her, and she said, oh, of course, this is, this is what I do. Isn't so, that something, huh? It was amazing. Wow. It really was, yeah. It really is amazing. So take us now to the surgery. You did the surgery, and now take us to the surgery part. Yeah, so, well, I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. I'm a neurologist. I personally didn't do the surgery. It was done by just an absolutely virtuoso brain tumor surgeon, Dr. Ian Dunn, who was in Boston, now is uh, the head of neurosurgery at, uh, uh, in Oklahoma, and um, spends his life operating on some of the most complicated uh, brain tumors. Hmm. So uh, he operated on Janelle. It took um, probably the better part of a day, about 12 hours hmm. to, to work hmm. on this tumor. But unfortunately, even with that huge surgery, they couldn't get all of the tumor out. It had just been going on for too long. This young man had hmm. been without care, without a diagnosis. So um, I'm not sure how much of the book you want me to give away. I'm happy to keep going, but it's... It's, um, it's up to you. It's up to you, whatever yeah. you'd like to share. Whatever yeah. you'd like to share. So I'll just, yeah, I'll just say that, um, you know, one of the people asked why I wanted to tell the stories in this book, and I think many people, when they think about global health, they think of this Mountains Beyond Mountains book and this image of sort of the hero from the rich country swoops into the poor country and yeah. you know, fixes everything. and. When you're really on the front lines, it's so much more complicated, and this story um, is not necessarily, by any means, a, a hero's tale. It really talks, as I said, about kind of the twists and turns of, you know, even if you think you're doing the right thing, what's the yeah. right way to do it? And who am I to decide who gets medical care and who doesn't? And yet, um, who am I to walk away as a doctor when I see a patient who I think we could help? And so it's it's a you know, I, to sort of I, have to, yeah. I have to tell you, Aaron, as you're saying that, mm -hmm. I'm listening to your words, and all I can do is I'm thinking COVID-19. You could be saying mm -hmm. that exact sentence right now. You could mm -hmm. be saying, mm -hmm. what do I do? I'm seeing these patients die. You know, what do I do as a doctor? How much can I do? Will I get help? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're hearing this on television from American doctors, and it's just, it's, it's amazing. And what I want to do is when we come back from yeah. break... I'd really like to talk with you about how do you see this in relationship to COVID-19? Mm -hmm. Because we've never mm -hmm. faced this before. You know, we're, as yeah. you said, one of the, you know, the top countries, one of the richest countries. And so for us, this is, how can this happen? And yet 
the last description that you said could have been said by somebody two weeks mm. ago. Am I right? That's right. That's right. You know, somebody could have said just that. How am I going to help these people? They're all dying. I'm just one person. I don't have all That's the supplies right. I need. I don't have the protective equipment. I'm thinking it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. So what I'd like to do after the break is get your perspective yes. on what you're seeing now in our country, sort of mm. the disparity between the two. But now that you've had that life experience, you come at it maybe from a different perspective. So I'd mm-hmm. really like to talk mm-hmm. about that. The book yeah. is one by one, one by one by one, making a small difference amid a billion problems. And it is by my guest, Dr. Aaron Berkowitz, MD, PhD, who is the founding director of Global Health at Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine and previously served on the faculty of Harvard Medical School. And he's now in Pasadena, California, and he talks about his time in Haiti where he was a neurologist and he struggled to do the right thing for people who, you know, had very little and for a, for a patient with a brain tumor. So when we come back, we're going to talk about sort of the comparison to that time and now and what we're going through with COVID-19 right here in August of 2020. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, and we will be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Join five-time world and international boxing champion, mental health advocate, writer, and speaker, Mia St. John, for In the Ring with Mia. After losing her ex-husband and son to mental illness, Mia has set out to empower those who deal with mental illness, homelessness, poverty, and addiction. Tune in and join Mia in the ring. And together, you'll find the help and motivation that you need. Listen live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show hi everyone and we are back and we are talking to my guest dr aaron berkowitz his brand new book, One by One by One, Making a Small Difference Amid a Billion Problems. Dr. Aaron Berkowitz is an MD and PhD and the founding director of Global Health at Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine and previously served on the faculty of Harvard Medical School, where he led the global neurology program at Brigham and Women's Hospital. He has been a health and policy advisor to Partners in Health and a senior specialist consultant to Doctors Without Borders. He's worked in Haiti, Malawi, Vietnam, and the Navajo Reservation in New Mexico. His work has been featured in the Washington Post, Boston Magazine, and New York Times. And 
his story is pretty amazing. And he talks about a 23-year-old Haitian patient uh, who was really dying of a brain tumor and how he went over as a young man to Haiti to help him and brought him back here and, and uh, the rest of the stories in the book. But what I wanted to talk with you about, Aaron, is sort of the similarity of what you were talking about in terms of doctors' reactions to feeling helpless with what they can do. I mean, this was 20 years ago where you felt helpless and needed help and you got help. But now we're in the middle of a pandemic where I'm watching doctors on television say, you know, we need more equipment. We, we need more, uh, you know, we need protect, more protective gear. And we do need a vaccine, but I'm working, you know, 24-7. And so we're hearing that. And it's very reminiscent of what you were sharing before. So talk to us about COVID-19 and how this all relates. Yeah, well, you know, it's such a great question. You know, when I was writing this book over the past few years, um, you know, talking about health inequities and health disparities and limited resources, um, that was not something people were talking about on the daily news on a, you know, an everyday basis um, as they are now with the pandemic. So I, I think it brings up a few interesting things to talk about. One is you mentioned frontline doctors and, um, you know, when I was writing this book, one of the ideas I wanted to explore was, you know, I think some people see the doctor as having the white coat being sort of this, you know, uh, all knowledgeable, all confident, yeah, you know, absolutely. healer. And I wanted to show in this book what it looks like sort of behind the veil, if you will, behind the curtain of how much uncertainty there is, how much even when we want to do what we can to help, we might not know the right way to help. We might not be able to find the diagnosis. We might not mm-hmm. know what the best treatment is. And there's a lot of uncertainty and not necessarily a, you know, a bad thing. It's just the honesty of we're human beings trying to help other human beings, um, you know, and we're doing the best um, we can, but it's a very imperfect science or imperfect art or some combination of the two. So I think, you know, it's been interesting to see um, doctors sort of conveyed now in that media, as you said, the sort of heroes work here, signs and these these aspects. But I wanted to explore in the book, what does it look like from our vantage point, seeing situations in, in the case of this book, patients with brain tumors in a country with no one to help them, or if, you know, now in a current situation, trying to fight a disease that a few months ago, none of us had ever seen or heard of. Um, what does it What does it look like? What does it feel like to be a doctor trying to navigate that, the ups and the downs and the points of confusion, the points of clarity, what we learn from our patients, what we learn from our colleagues. Those are all aspects I want to try to bring out in the book. And what are you seeing now in terms of where we are now? I mean, we're a country that never faced anything like this. So this is, this is all new to us. Whereas in the That's countries you've been in, particularly Haiti, they have faced this before. Not the exact same thing, but similar. Yeah, you know, it's a very important and interesting point. You know, the United States, as we know, is one of the wealthiest countries in the world um, and spends some of the most money in the world per capita on health care. And, um, you know, it's being talked about more in terms of COVID-19, but it's not news um, that despite all that money, we do not have the best health outcomes in the world. And um, now we're seeing that underlying problem sort of unmasked in a very dramatic way. And you know, it's interesting. I've done some work in Vietnam, as you mentioned, and Vietnam is classified as a lower middle income country. So the World Bank gives four tiers, high income like the U.S., low income is the lowest, and then lower middle income, one step uh, you know, up from the bottom or three down from the top. In Vietnam, last I checked, there were zero deaths related to COVID and a couple hundred cases total in the entire really? pandemic. This is a country that was the poorest country in the world after the Vietnam War and is certainly much more developed than that now, but in countries where um, they've had to use limited resources to set health priorities, a lot of that has been on public health infrastructure. You have a country like Rwanda that just 25 years ago was recovering from a brutal genocide. I believe also last I checked, it was zero deaths or very few and a couple hundred cases. Now, people might say those are small countries compared to the U.S. Yes, they're small, but their population is around that of Manhattan, if not more. And we know that we're seeing, or Los Angeles, you know, pick any big city in the U.S., you know, 10, 15 million people. Hmm. And we're Why seeing, do you think that is, yeah. Aaron? Why do you think that is? 
Why do you think the death rate is so small in these third world countries that are much smaller? But why do you think it is? You know, in those particular countries, I think it's very robust public health infrastructure. You know, in the case of um, Central Africa and West Africa, you know, when there was the Ebola outbreak a few years ago, um, the infrastructure, you know, in some countries was there to make sure there would not be a single case in their borders. There were Wanda as an example of that. In other countries that had to face that devastating disease, devastating for their population, for their health system, had to build structures to make sure that they would be prepared for another pandemic should one occur. And in the U.S., we were certainly, you'll recall, and your listeners will recall, the fear around what would happen if a patient with Ebola uh, arrived in the United States. And there were indeed cases, but we didn't have an outbreak. And yet our country relies, uh, invests a lot in um, treatment, but less on prevention in some ways and less on public health mm-hmm. infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And these countries mm-hmm. like Vietnam and Rwanda that invest in the health of the population and public health infrastructure have very robust structures in place. And they're not, you know, once you're behind in a pandemic like this, as we've seen in the United States, it's very hard to um, right the ship, um, let alone sail to shore. And these are countries who got ahead of it before they got behind it. And um, we have been very far behind and remain um, very far behind, uh, unfortunately, in the U.S. What would be your advice, you know, based on living in different cultures and what you're saying mm-hmm. now when you're talking to your medical colleagues? I'm sure you're talking to medical colleagues on the front yes. lines as well. What would you say? Yes. Well, um, <laughs> so, so much to say on the, you know, on the largest scale, I would say, why are we not saying to the Vietnam Ministry of Health, to the South Korean Ministry of Health, to the Rwandan Ministry of Health, we in the United States need your technical support. You guys have done an incredible job. What are you doing? We want to learn from you. And again, I'm not mm-hmm. in government. I don't know if those conversations are happening. But, you know, in the past, there's been this idea that, you know, ideas and innovation and, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, top-notch uh, aspects of things flow out from the so-called global north to the global south. Um, and although the majority of the world's wealth is held in the global north, um, this idea that there's a you know, one-way vector of innovation and success is, is simply not true. So you know, in why, are, why are we not you know, sort of getting technical assistance if we're not able to manage this in our, on our own? And then yeah. you know, without getting too much into politics, we do have experts in our country who, who know a lot about this, and it's mm-hmm. not clear that their advice mm-hmm. is always um, uh, being shared yeah. with the public. Their advice yeah. is, is always being taken. And then on the, you know, person-to-person level, I think, um, you know, there's some simple things we can all do to reduce the spread and reduce our own risk and the risk of right. others, things like right. social distancing, wearing masks, and um, these are things that some people have protested against, um, either personally by just not wearing them or, um, you know, on a larger scale by having actual protests against this. And there is fear in the medical community that when a vaccine is available, there will be protest against the vaccine itself. And so I think that's just a very different state of mind than other countries where people say our our leaders say this is what we need to do and we do it. Or our leaders may say, I don't know if countries do this, you'll be arrested if you don't. Yeah, exactly. Let me, let me, um, yeah, yeah, we have a few minutes before break. So let me, let me move this into the sort of the positive realm of things that we can do on an individual basis that can help us. And I think one of those is the whole idea of gratitude. I think we Mm -hmm. have been a country that, you know, hasn't always been grateful for basic things that other countries Mm -hmm. are because they haven't had the plentifulness, if that's a word, of what we've had. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you know, I would go to the grocery store and I never thought anything of it. You just went to the store, you got what you needed. But now you go to the grocery store and you go with a little bit of a different mindset. You know, what if it's not there? What if I have to conserve a little bit? You know, what if I have to make something else because those eggs weren't available today or in short supply? So talk about that from sort of our, you know, framework of thinking around all of this, maybe changing that. Yeah. So, you know, um, going back and forth from Haiti to, to Boston, as I did, people would often ask me if there's culture shock and in which direction and, um, you know, one thing that I uh, often often say when people 
um, asked me about that, as I mentioned, you know, the case of one of my colleagues um, who went to Haiti for the first time to teach in a program we run there. And I asked him that question about culture shock. And he said the most striking moment for him was coming home to the U.S. and going grocery shopping. Since he mentioned grocery shopping, I wanted to mention this story. And he said, just, I just realized how surrounded we are by abundance in our country. Mm. And if you're walking through the market in Haiti and see, you know, a few shriveled vegetables in a basket and an emaciated goat and, you know, just there's what's there is what's there. And if you can afford it, you get it. And then you walk into Trader Joe's or Whole Foods and Walmart and you just see for city blocks all the abundance of every type of apple you could want, every type of, you know, fruit, vegetable, you know, frozen product, whatever. And so that abundance is all around us, as you said. And I think it's hard to, um, you know, necessarily um, come to gratitude right away until you see what it's like when um, when that's not the reality. You know, in Haiti, 50% of people in Haiti live on less than $2 a day, 25% on less than a dollar a day. We understand those statistics in our mind, and we say, oh, that's terrible, that's tragic. But when you go there and you see that, or even in our own country as we're learning, different communities mm-hmm. being affected in very different ways, by COVID-19 due to systems of racism and inequity that were in place long before this, then it becomes real. We say, wow, that's, I'm so lucky that I have this. And then from gratitude comes compassion, right? And we say, what, what can I do to to help in some way? I'm so blessed to have all what I have. What can I do to help others who have less? Yes. Well, and on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more to Dr. Aaron Berkowitz, whose book is one by one by one making a small difference amid a billion problems. Dr. Aaron Berkowitz is an MD-PhD. He's the founding director of the Global Health at Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine and previously served on the faculty of Harvard Medical School. And we're going to talk more about his book and more about his experience in Haiti and, you know, how these small differences can make a big difference. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com. America's Voice. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. On Read My Lips Radio, producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, invites you to eavesdrop on her live, unscripted conversations with smart, savvy, creative people as she discovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, when creativity first became their passion, and how their creative process can inspire the rest of us to think out of the box. Enjoy, a.k.a. Radio Red's always lively, cool conversations with creatives. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Oh, how those lips can talk. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. You are listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. We're now in our 19th year on Voice America. And my guest is Dr. Aaron Berkowitz, and his book is One by One by One, Making a Small Difference Amid a Billion Problems. Dr. Aaron Berkowitz is an MD and PhD, and he's the founding director of Global Health at Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine, and previously served on the faculty of Harvard Medical School, where he led the global neurology program at Brigham and Women's Hospital. He's a health and policy advisor to Partners in Health, and he's a senior specialist consultant to Doctors Without Borders. Dr. Berkowitz has worked in Haiti, Malawi, Vietnam, and the Navajo Nation. Welcome, Aaron. Welcome, Dr. Berkowitz. Welcome back. All right. Let's talk about the title and subtitle of the book. One- by one, by one, making a small difference amid a billion problems. Please expand on that. Yeah, so there's sort of two sides of the coin to to the one by one by one title. You know, um, there are about 4 billion people in the world who don't have access to basic healthcare, let alone the type of advanced healthcare like neurosurgery that the patients I describe in this book need, brain surgery. But, you know, when we convey these big societal problems and millions and billions, we, we tend to lose sight of the individuals, the ones amongst those billions. People say, oh, there's several billion people without access to health care or half a million people worldwide have, have died of COVID-19. And we forget that individuals make up those, those big numbers. And I wanted to tell Janelle's story to really put a face to a problem that's often faceless and to give voice to people who are often voiceless to show that you know, when you say the poor, when you say the billion without access to health care, these are people's mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And I just learned so much from these patients and their incredible faith and courage and trust, um, even when they had so little um, fighting so hard to, to advocate for themselves. And that's sort of one side of the coin, the ones amidst the billions. And on the other hand, you know, we hear more and more every day about the the historical forces of racism and inequity and disparity. And when we hear about those problems, they sound so massive and so insurmountable, but they also sort of sound so conceptual. And so in addition to telling these patient stories, I really wanted to tell my own story and how, you know, just being a doctor and doing my job and trying to help, you know, one of these patients and working with one or two or three other colleagues, how each of those ones can add up to try to, solve some small piece of some larger puzzle. And if we're all sort of working in that way, maybe those ones can add up to billions too. Well, didn't that happen recently in New York when Governor Cuomo, and again, we're in, folks, we're in uh, August of 2020. So if you hear this two or three years later, hopefully the pandemic is not here, uh, but we are (laughs) going through a global pandemic of coronavirus. But, you know, Governor Cuomo recently really had a lockdown on New York City and all over New York. And it made a difference, and everybody followed, or most people did. And the death rate went down. So this is an example of each person doing something. That's what do you right. Think? It's, these, it's these small individual decisions that can make a huge difference. And I'm in California now, and we were the first state to go on lockdown. Even the difference of a couple of days early mm. in the pandemic, we were in great shape. Unfortunately, like many states, we've opened on the earlier side and our Cases are now rapidly rising, but it was it's so interesting, like you said, when we're in these unprecedented situations, and as I was saying earlier, as physicians and you know, in many professions, even when we aren't thinking about it, almost every situation has its own twists and complexities that make it unprecedented. Um, it can be a small, courageous action of stepping forward and saying, this is unpopular, but I'm going to do it in the case of uh, Governor Cuomo because I, I believe based on what I've heard that this is the best way to help people or, you know, on a much uh, smaller scale, myself and my colleagues saying, we're not going to take this argument that it's unsustainable and not cost effective to help this young man when we think we can do it. And, and those small decisions 
um, you know, have a big impact on, you know, some of the individual patients in this book. Give us some other examples of one by one by one. So, you know, I've been talking in this book about one individual patient and I'm talking about myself, but I also wanted in this book to really capture some of the incredible stories of some of my colleagues in Haiti. So Janelle's doctor, a young doctor named uh, Martino, Dr. Martino, Louis-Ne Martino, um, he really wanted to help Janelle. He was the doctor working with me there, learning some neurology and had written to me about this patient. And I tell in the book his incredible story to try to get Janelle a passport. So we were Mm -hmm. able to find, as I mentioned earlier, funding and housing and a willing surgeon, a willing hospital, but uh, the patient didn't have a passport. Um, Mm -hmm. And it turned out the patient didn't even have a birth certificate. Mm -hmm. Um, And my colleague, Dr. Martino, said, you know, he's so poor, he doesn't exist in Haiti. He's not in the system. There's not even a register. He was born on the dirt floor of a hut. No one was there. It's not documented anywhere. How do you prove that you exist Mm -hmm. and you can get a passport? And one of my favorite stories to tell was, you know, Martino wrote a, a blog post about his, uh, you know, his work to get this passport. And I, you know, had many conversations to get all the details of how he had to navigate some very interesting politics and connections and other aspects of Haiti to find himself in the office of the minister of the interior to try to negotiate to get a passport for this young man. So mm. just incredible people. Again, we talked about doctors here in America realizing for the first time they don't have all the tools they need to, to, to do what they would like to do, which is help the patient in front of them. And to think of a doctor like Martino trying to not just get a medicine for his patient or get them an x-ray or a surgery, but to figure out how to get a passport for a patient with no birth certificate. That's amazing. The amount of, it's, it's an amazing, I won't, again, I won't give away the, the details because there are a number of twists and turns to that story and just an incredible background story of how Martino became a doctor and where he began in Haiti and, and uh, where he is now um, becoming a neurologist and uh, training in the United States, actually. Mm. Um, so his is just an incredible story. And I think too often in these stories of, you know, group from rich country goes to help group in poor country and people make a book or a movie, we sort of lose yeah. sight of all of the other people involved and just the incredible doctors and psychologists and social workers in Haiti, who I learned so much from uh, in general, but, you know, in respect to trying to do the best thing for these patients and understand across cultures, across languages, um, you know, how to communicate and what to communicate and, and, and how to navigate some very complex situations in a culturally sensitive way. So I, I hope those, those incredible personalities and, and characters come mm. through in the book as well. Right. Well, I, uh, what I'm hearing as you talk is just an amazing amount of personal awareness, but gratitude. I mean, because mm. of everything you've seen, I don't hear, I hear gratitude, I hear understanding, I hear compassion, I hear empathy. You know, I don't hear any, there's no, um, I don't even know how to say it, um, different level. You know, we, you look at human beings, human beings, not, well, I'm better than you because I have a better education. Or because I have more. You don't see it that way at all. That's right. I mean, you make me think of a couple things. One is um, throughout the book, I, I mentioned Haitian proverbs that I've learned. Haitian Creole is a very rich language, and there are countless proverbs. And my colleagues there know I always find them interesting, and they're very multi-leveled. Um, but one that's very moving to me is tout moun se moun, which literally means every person is a person. And I think when you when you start from that, that vantage point of thinking every person is a person just like you, then these isms, racism and sexism and classism and ableism and all these things that say, as you said, I'm different from you, I'm worse or better than you, you're worse or better than me, those just sort of fall away and you say you're another individual doing your best to navigate this world and if I have some way I can help you, why shouldn't I? If you have some way you can help me, why shouldn't I? And it comes back to you know, the Partners in Health mission statement, which is how I begin the book before the book even begins. I just have that on one of the introductory pages. Um, it's short and it has a couple of very powerful lines, but one that really struck me is that they say their mission is based on solidarity rather than charity alone. And I mm-hmm. think charity is so important, right? Those of us who have more should help those of us who have less. But 
Yeah. Charity is sort of like we give to you, us giving to them. It's sort of abstract. And when you say solidarity rather than charity alone, that, that redefines this relationship. It's not it makes it more two ways. It makes it more two ways rather than you just other. one way. Yeah. Exactly. We remember that we're each part of this same all. We're all sharing with each other. Right now I have more than you. I should I should help in some point in the future. You you may have more than me and and you know, you may want to help me. And so I think, um, you know, that idea, as you said, of just sort of looking at this as we are all individuals in this together, we all have different skills and different luck and different education, but we can all work together to to make things better than they are for um, each other, for ourselves, and by doing so for the whole world. How beautiful. And on that note, we're going to end this segment and come back in a couple minutes. My guest is Dr. Aaron Brokowitz. He's an MD and PhD. His brand new book is One by One by One, Making a Small Difference Amid a Billion Problems. Dr. Brokowitz is the founding director of the Global Health at Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine and previously served on the faculty of Harvard Medical School where he led the global neurology program at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And he has lived and worked, or he has worked in Haiti, Malawi, Vietnam, the Navajo Reservation, New Mexico, and he's been written in many national magazines. And people can get this book by going on to Harper One or Amazon or both. I always mention when people ask right now, I know independent booksellers are really struggling to do their their best during the pandemic. So if you have a local independent bookseller, um, they should have it in stock for you to, to buy that way as well. Thanks so much. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Aaron Berkowitz right here on the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on Voice America, America's Voice. All right, my guest is Dr. Aaron Berkowitz, and his brand-new book is One by One by One, 
making a small difference amid a billion problems. Dr. Berkowitz is the founding director of Global Health at Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine and previously served on the faculty of Harvard Medical School. And his book is very much about his time in Haiti 20 years ago where he helped uh, try to save a young man uh, with, from a brain tumor and they brought him to the States and the stories in the book and it's pretty amazing. And that was really the impetus for this book one by one by one, making a small difference in mitigating problems. So, Dr. Berkowitz, Aaron, what would you suggest? What's your advice to us, all of us, particularly during COVID-19? But in general, how can we make a small difference in mitigating problems? Well, that's such a great question, Patricia. Um, you know, as I talk a little bit about in the book, when people say, how did you end up doing this work and how did you end up in Haiti? So right. Much, so much of it was really influenced by reading this book, Mountains Beyond Mountains, that I mentioned, and it really just sort of opened my eyes to the fact that how lucky I was and fortunate I was to have been raised in a middle-class family and never had to want for anything, whether that was food or going to school or clothes or whatever, and I just realized, you know, in sort of the early uh, days before the internet took over and you could know what was going on all over the world in any given moment, um, before that, um, it was not hard to be in your own bubble in some ways, and I think once that realization comes, and I hope, you know, my book, too, will help people see how poor, uh, you know, the conditions are for some um, people in Haiti, but that is true in our own country and throughout the world. Haiti is just one example. And um, once we learn about that, the question is often, what can we do? And since writing this book, I've been contacted by all sorts of different people saying, I want to help. What can I do? And mm-hmm. you know, there are many different answers. I think, um, you know, we were talking about charity before the break, and you know, to look for organizations that are doing the type of work that you admire. Um, there are lots of people who say, you know, I want to get on the next flight to Haiti and do something. And I, you know, usually, and I reflect on this in the book, say, well, for that cost of your plane tickets and visa and hotel and transportation and all the things you're going to do to prepare for this trip, think how far that money could go for someone making $2 a day in Haiti. Um, so there are organizations we can, we can donate to, um, uh, Partners in Health is one that I've worked with, but Doctors Without Borders, there are many if people are interested in healthcare, um, social justice uh, organizations like the Equal Justice Initiative working on racial justice uh, in America. So I think that's usually what I tell people before you open your wallet to buy plane tickets or to volunteer, um, depending on what your profession is, you know, think about how far that money could go donating to an organization that's already working on HIV treatment, t- tuberculosis treatment, school, whatever your interest is, education, health, housing, clean water, because there's so many organizations doing good, but they, you know, they need the funds to sustain them. And then mm-hmm. for people say, but I really want to do something, um, you know, I've always said, try to find, as I was forced to do, an organization that can um, see what you have to offer and, and put it to good work. There are I've heard of too many stories of people going to Haiti or similar places that actually have a very high skill level in their profession, but when they're there as part of some sort of volunteer slash tourist trip are, you know, just hauling buckets of cement to help, you know, build something. And that's great. That's helpful. But when I say, oh, my goodness, that was a surgeon doing that or that was an engineer, they might be able to write to one of these organizations as I did and say, look, I'm a neurologist. I want to volunteer my time to. Is there anything I can do? And they said, oh, here's mm-hmm. a long list of things you can do. So, that's sort of my, my general first path um, advice to people. Um, mm-hmm. And then people in healthcare, obviously, a little, a little different because there are some for these particular types of situations, yeah, some great very advice. specific roles. Yeah. Great advice. Now, you recently moved from the Boston area, right? Well, oh, mm-hmm. to now you're on the West Coast in California. Um, right. And so tell us about your role now at Kaiser Permanente and what you're doing. Right. So Kaiser Permanente, as many of your listeners may know, is a large integrated health system um, on the on the West Coast, but also some sites uh, in the Midwest and on the East Coast. And they decided a few years ago to open a new medical school. And uh, not that common for a new medical school to open in the United States, and particularly not that common for one to open outside of a university environment, but to open within a health system the way the Mayo Clinic uh, did many years ago. And so I've been very fortunate to be a member of the founding faculty. And um, one of my roles is to, as a neurologist, think about the neurology curriculum and the importance of neurology and how that fits into the whole four years since we get to start from scratch instead of 
kind of, um, you know, juggling things around for something that's been in place for many years or many hundreds of years in the case of some American med schools. And then my role as the director of global health will be to think of some of the issues we've been talking about, say, how to have them more integrated into the fabric of the medical school curriculum. So, you know, when I went to medical school, you had anatomy on Monday and then pharmacology on Wednesday. And um, after a few years, then you started seeing patients, everything felt very disconnected. So there's certainly been a movement to integrate the science and clinical um, aspects, but I want to take that further with my colleagues to bring the social determinants of health, inequity, disparity, racism, how do Mm. we, how do these affect health and communities and how can we address them already from the student level instead of, as in my case, many cases in my generation, sort of just learning about that aspect later without formal training. Wonderful. All right, we've got two minutes left. What is your message? What would you like to leave our listeners with about your book, One by One by One, Making a Small Difference Amid a Billion Problems? Well, I'll come back to that quote from Partners in Health's mission statement to think about solidarity rather than charity alone. So when we think now, whether it's the COVID-19 pandemic or whether it's reading a story about young patients with brain tumors in Haiti, um, not just what can we give in terms of charity, but Um, What can we do for our fellow human beings? Because I think when we begin from that place of solidarity, from that Haitian Creole proverb, tout moun se moun, every person is a person, it really opens our our hearts to to compassion and to thinking about what we can do, not just sort of on a theoretical level that we we Mm -hmm. feel compassion, but that we want to take action based on that compassion. And that's sort of where this story begins. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the program. It was delightful and inspirational, educational. Thank you, Dr. Aaron Berkowitz. Thank you so much for having me, Patricia. Yeah, yeah. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Uh, If you would like to find out about my guest, you can go on my website or write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com. I'll put you on my newsletter list, and you can see all these wonderful guests that we have on each week. Uh, Also, you can like me on Facebook by going to Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. And if you're thinking of doing your own program or your own podcast, uh, I can help you put that together. One of the things I, after having done this for so many years, I love helping other people get the good word out. So uh, certainly contact me. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.